0: Good morning and welcome everyone. We welcome you wherever you are, whether you're at home, whether you're here in the building, wherever you are in the world. We welcome you this morning, whatever you're going through. Some of you may come with joy in your hearts. Some of you may have come through a path of pain, through difficulty, through sadness. But wherever you are, we welcome you to come and worship the Lord this morning. As part of this series, we're looking at holy lives today. And Neil will be bringing God's word to us later on. But so often when we come to worship God, we actually have to encourage ourselves to do that, particularly if it's been difficult. And the first song that we're going to sing is 10,000 Reasons. And it starts with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And that sounds uplifting, but there can be times when we've got to persuade ourselves to do that, to encourage ourselves, to lift our hearts to God. So as we sing that this morning... Let's think of those reasons that we've got to be grateful to. And with, you know, particularly um, in COVID, it's been hard to praise God. We haven't been able to sing in the same way as normal. But it says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And whether we're singing at home or whether we're just humming along here, let's do that this morning. We'll move straight on then to the second song, which is a song really about the holiness of God. And again, it will be a great one just to think about as we sing that. I can't remember how long ago it was now. I think it was going back to March, but we did the Gentle and Lowly series. And um, once a week we had our missionary friends from around the world sharing a devotion. And I was particularly touched by the one that the coup shared. They'd been studying the book of Esther. And they talked about how God had kept his people through a difficult time um, when they felt powerless and out of control. And they felt that that had really spoken to them and to the wider church through the time of COVID and how we actually trusted God when we felt out of control. And there was something that particularly touched me at the end of this that they read. And it was some words from St. Teresa of Avela. And they were just talking about um, maybe we are for such a time as this. We are God's hands and feet. And these were the words... Christ has no body but yours No hands No feet on earth but yours Yours are the eyes through which he looks with With compassion on his world Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world Yours are the hands Yours are the eyes You are his body Christ has no other body now on earth but yours and in some way part of it you want to say that's not right but in another way you think yes but that's true we are his body here on earth and I just thought that was really um, powerful so if you've got the opportunity to go back and look at it and click on that um, link again it was under the Gentle and Lowry series I'd encourage you to do that Let's now just um, lift these things to the Lord. And what I was going to do is just um, base our prayers around the last song that we sung. So just let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the one who commands all the hosts of heaven, who can make every king bow down, who can whisper and darkness trembles, you are our holy God. Lord we lift this world to you Our leaders and our royal family Knowing that you set them in place And asking that you would give them wisdom and guidance And that they would lead and govern with integrity Praying too that you would especially comfort the queen through her time of grief What other glory consumes like fire? What other power can raise the dead? What other name remains undefeated? Only a holy God. Holy God, we come to you knowing that you are powerful and trusting that you will work through your people. Lord, we just lift the coos before you at the moment, praying for good health. Lord, we just pray that through the current sabbatical that they're having at the moment, Lord, that they would find rest and restoration, and particularly praying that over the next weeks, that they, as they seek you for guidance, Lord, that you would show them the way for the future. We pray for Johan and Joseph as they return to school after lockdown. We pray for Simone's mother in South Korea, that she may have strength and peace as peace she grieves for the loss of Simone's father. Lord, we pray too for Julie Maxwell's work with Lovewise and her talk with us this evening. And Lord, we just pray for all the ministries of the church as we seek to love and serve and minister the love of Jesus to those we meet, trusting that you can do anything through your people, Lord, as we are your hands. Lord, we bring our lives to you, confessing our sin, trusting in your forgiveness, your love, your grace, your healing power. Lord, we worship you. Come and behold him. The one and the only. Cry out, sing holy, forever a holy God. Come and worship the holy God. And Lord, we just pray too now, as we um, as Neil preaches today. Lord, we pray that you would anoint him, and that his, as he speaks, Lord, your Holy Spirit would bring it alive, and speak deep into our hearts, and that we would respond. Amen. And before Alistair um, comes to read the word of God, we're just going to um, sing the next song. And let's just treat
1: it as a prayer as we sing that. Good morning. Uh, the reading is from 1 Peter, verse 13 uh, into chapter 2. Since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and their glory, sorry, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of all kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is
2: good. Thanks, Alistair. Morning, everybody. Let's pray as we come to God's Word. Lord God, we do praise you that you are a holy God and we thank you that you have redeemed us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So we pray now that you would reveal yourself to us through your living and enduring word. Pray you'd give us minds that are alert and fully sober that we would set our hope on the grace to come and you would teach us how to live holy lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think the reason that, see, the pandemic has been so hard for many people over the past year is that they've lost um, their sense of hope and purpose and joy. Of some people, their purpose in life is found in exciting experiences, um, whether that's a holiday, maybe a trip to the theatre, maybe a meal out, whatever it is. Um, and that's not been possible, is it? For others, their purpose is found in relationships, being able to meet up with friends and, and family. And again, we've had to remain apart and separate from from one another. For others, it's in their their work and in generating money to spend on stuff. And uh, many have lost jobs. For others, it's living healthy lives. And in addition to the risk of COVID, of course, the number of people on the NHS waiting lists has risen now to nearly five million. As Christians, we may enjoy all these things, but that is not where our ultimate purpose is found. And therefore, we should be less impacted by the pandemic. After all, we have a different hope, a different purpose and joy, as we saw last week in the first half of this chapter of 1 Peter. Let's read again verse 3 from from the first chapter. It says there, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, However challenging the pandemic has been, it cannot change what God has secured for us through the death and resurrection of His Son. Nothing can change our inheritance in heaven. We've been saved already, but that salvation will be completed when Jesus comes again. And so having reminded His readers of all that God has done for them, Peter goes on in our passage this morning to encourage them in the way they should live their lives, in the light Of Jesus' return. And he starts in verse 13 by saying this, he says, therefore, in other words, given all that God has done for you, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Whatever may happen in your life, whether an individual crisis or a global pandemic, remember, that is not what it's all about. Set your hope on the grace that is still to come. And don't let anything distract you from that. Hence the reference to having minds that are alert and and fully sober. The literal translation is girding up the loins of your minds, which refers to that ancient custom in that part of the world of gathering up your long robes um, by putting them between your legs and tying them around your waist so you're ready to run if you need to. Be ready to run away from temptation and run towards Jesus. And it's interestingly it refers to minds because that is where the things that will distract us from Christ will start. Our minds can play havoc with us, can't we? They can make us feel useless even when there's no reason for us to feel like that. They can make us feel that God doesn't care when he's shown us just how much he loves us through His Son dying for us. Our minds can be enticed by the superficial attractions of this world. If our thought life is not healthy, then our behavior won't be holy. Which is why we need to prepare and train our minds for action. Fill them with the promises of God from His Word. He also says of minds that are fully sober. To be sober refers to the influence of alcohol. And just as alcohol diminishes our reactions, he's saying resist any unhelpful influence that might affect the purity of your desires and your behavior. Think of a bodyguard protecting a VIP, the way they have to be constantly alert to everything that's going on around them, ready to step into the first sign of danger. That is the image we should be adopting in our minds. Be on your guard against harmful influences that would distract you from God, and pray for God's strength continually. That's what Jesus told the disciples to do, wasn't it, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we looked at just before Easter? Watch and pray. So, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope. On the grace to come. Okay, you may say, but what does that look like in practical terms? How does setting it? my hope on Jesus coming again and being alert to the things around me help me to live in this world now? Well, the four key commands in this passage, <clears throat> the others that look like commands are actually, um, participles in the, in the Greek. But the first command is this. Be holy first one won't come as a surprise to you it's what we looked at in our verse for the year the beginning of the year already but it says just as he who called you is holy so be holy in all you do for it is written be holy because I am holy next weekend at our elders retreat we'll be discussing this book I've mentioned before um, by Kevin DeYoung it's called The Hole in Our Holiness um It refers to the fact that uh, many Christians today just don't take holiness seriously. Um, There's a love for the gospel, maybe a love for powerful experiences, but a love for personal holiness appears to be lacking. And he tries to explore some of the reasons for that. He says it may be because of the focus on the free gift of the gospel, the fact that we don't earn our salvation, makes us sort of wary of anything that smacks of moralism or salvation by works. It may be a reaction to the, the legalistic approach to morality that uh, some Christians have taken in the past. It may be because we want to engage with society and uh, we're worried about coming across as sort of holier-than-thou or intolerant of others with different values. It may just be complacency. Or laziness. We're not as holy as we'd like to be, but you know we're 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 okay. And praying for the Spirit to put sin to death in our lives and grow in holiness is just almost too much like hard work. Maybe just be a lack of faith. We we are aware of our sins, our need to grow in holiness, but we we don't believe that God has the power to change us. The thing is that holiness is a purpose for which God saved us. Having rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt and promised to be their God, he gave them commandments to follow so they could live lives of holiness. When Jesus rescued us from slavery to sin through his death and resurrection, it was so we could live lives of holiness. As it says in 2 Timothy, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Or in 1 Thessalonians, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And so the New Testament is full of instructions about how to live holy lives that are pleasing to God. Our holiness is not the means of our salvation, but it's the proof of our salvation. It's not enough just to say, I believe. If we've been born again, we will be seen in the holiness of our lives. And we're sure when Christ comes again, he will take us to be with him. So what does holiness look like? Well, verse 14, have a look down in the passage. It says this, it says, As Obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. God, by his Holy Spirit, has given us understanding. We're no longer ignorant. We have different desires in our souls. Instead of living to please please ourselves, we are now children of God. We want to live to please our Heavenly Father. And that means being obedient to his commandments. A big shock to someone coming to, to faith, particularly as an adult, when they've been used to living their lives in a very different way, it's often the feeling they no longer quite fit in. The world hasn't changed. The people um, that they work with, play with, live next door to are all the same. But they feel different. They have different values and priorities. They want to spend their, their time in a different way. We are, or Peter calls in this letter, foreigners and exiles. We feel different, and people will see that we are different. But as we begin to feel confident in our new identity, people notice that there is actually something quite attractive about that way of life. That doesn't mean some of the old desires are not still there, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are to rid ourselves of them. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2 there. It says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, And all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now these all sound like nasty things that evil people do, but not the sort of things that um, we would ever do, surely. But to have a think of it more closely. Deceit. Have you never been a little sparing with the truth? Hypocrisy. Have you never tried to maybe cover up something you're embarrassed about or put yourself in a more flattering light than is really the case? Envy. Have you never looked at what you haven't got rather than been thankful for what you have, for what you have got? Slander. Have you never said anything negative about someone else based on hearsay without knowing the full facts? Sometimes Christians are so intimidated by the idea of holiness because they know they can never be perfect and therefore don't even try. But that's not what is being said here. To be holy is not to be perfect. Only God is perfect. But to be holy is to become more like God. And holiness is something we can grow in. It is achievable. If we trust the Holy Spirit has power, we believe he has the power to make us more holy. So let's pray that we will see him working in us to make us more like Jesus. Set your hope on the grace to come by being holy. And secondly, the second command is live in reverent fear. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live your time as foreigners here in reverent fear first impression when you read these words is how does the idea of a loving father go together with a judge and being fearful the idea of being judged by the, the God of the universe should fill us with terror unless we already know the verdict the passage continues for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. As believers, we are reassured that when we stand before Jesus on the day of judgment, we will be acquitted because the perfect obedience of Christ, his sacrificial death, have paid the price so we can go free. That doesn't mean that we're still not called before the judge. But on that day, our faithfulness will be revealed for all to see. That won't determine whether we deserve to be set free, but it will determine whether or not our faith in Jesus is real. And sadly, we are told that there will be those who are rejected because of their hypocrisy. They've not lived out in their lives or they've professed with their mouths. If our faith is genuine, we don't need to be fearful of whether or not we are truly saved. But we should still be afraid of offending a loving father who has redeemed us, who's purchased us, who's made us his own, who's saved us from an empty way of life. I think for many people what the pandemic has shown is the the emptiness of their lives because the lockdown has taken away the things they fill their lives with, as we said at the beginning. by relying on those things, they created a, a false impression of a full life. And what's left when those things are taken away? And I think that's the cause for many people of some of the mental health problems that are going on. People are asking the question, what am I now living for? If those things are held dear, I cannot enjoy. As the American writer Eric Hoffer wrote, our greatest pretenses are built up not to hide the evil and the ugly in us, but our emptiness. The hardest thing to hide is something that is not there. All those things that people fill their lives with, good as they may be, can't replace a spiritual void. Unless God has come into our lives, we will be spiritually empty. And that is our greatest need, whether we realize it or not. If we have Jesus in our lives, then even if all that other stuff is taken away, we can still be full. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to save us from an empty way of life and give our lives meaning. The price of that was his life. The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The perfect, holy God. A price far greater than the amount of gold or silver. A price that only God can pay. So the fear of God, then, is not living in fear of an authoritarian father who's watching for us to slip so he can enjoy punishing us. Whatever we do, he's faithful and will forgive us our sins. Our inheritance is secure in heaven, as we read earlier in this chapter. So rather, it is a fear of displeasing someone who's already done so much for us and is desperate to continue to provide for us and to protect us. It's that fear of God, a fear of displeasing him that makes us want to grow in holiness. In 2 Corinthians 7, we read this. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, that is the promise that God will be our Father, that he will always be with us, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Set your hope on the grace to come by being holy, by living in reverent fear. And the third command is love one another deeply. Verse 22 says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. If God has redeemed us, then we've become part of a family of believers. What is so noticeable about the, the love that Christians have for one another is that it doesn't depend on how similar we are, uh, how similar we are in character or, or temperament or, or age or interest. We're all different from one another. Um, yet we have the most important thing in common. We've been redeemed by Christ. And that means we're now foreigners in this world. Uh, but our love for one another... Is an important part of our witness to the world. Having assumed that we have a sincere love for each other, the command to love one another is to love deeply from the heart. And otherwise don't be satisfied with your level of commitment to one another. Go deeper. A society is characterized by, by shallowness, and that includes relationships. Because Christians are on the same spiritual wavelength, we are able to enjoy a depth of relationship that others aren't. But for Christians, it's also possible for relationships to remain on the superficial. It's when we start praying for one another, when we start opening up and being vulnerable to one another, that we experience a greater depth of relationship. It's great to talk to people um, who are going through difficult times and them to share just how much they've been supported and encouraged by the love and kindness of other members of the church. It might just be through a call, an email, a text message or a card It shows that deep love for, for one another. And it's not just in times of crisis that we do that, is it, also. It's great to, to receive a message, just even when things are going fairly well, just know that somebody's praying for you and supporting you. We finally, crave pure spiritual milk, another way in which we can love one another deeply from the heart. Verse 3 of chapter 2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. New mums will know just how much babies crave milk, so much so that they will cry and cry until they get it. Whatever time uh, of day or night it is, however tired their mothers are, they're desperate for it. It's that same sort of desperation that Peter's trying to get across here. Be desperate for pure spiritual milk. Cry out for it. Do anything you can to to get it. But what is it? What is this pure spiritual milk? What What enabled you to be born again? in the first place. Look back at um, verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The word of God Contains the message of salvation, but it's not just a message of salvation. God doesn't just call a people to himself and leave it there. All of these things we've been talking about, being holy, living our lives in reverent fear, loving one another deeply, are ways in which we grow up in our salvation. And the source of that growth is the same living and enduring word of God. That's where we find out how to be holy, how to live lives um, in fear, how to love one another deeply. So to crave pure spiritual milk is to crave the word of God in order to grow in our salvation. There's often an unwillingness amongst Christians to to grow up in our Christian faith. People become Christians, they may have a a burst of activity when they're newborn and, and drink everything they can lay their hands on. And then they almost feel they've drunk all they they need to. The question I want to leave you with this morning is, how are you seeking to grow in your salvation? Where is the hole in your holiness? Our growth in holiness and in salvation does not have to be affected by a pandemic. We still have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We can still pray. We can still ask for the Spirit to give us the power to resist the influence of the world and to instead fear God and grow in holiness. And we can still ask him to help us to love each other deeply from the heart. So we're going to do that now. We're going to have a time of quiet. Um, some music playing in the background. Um, for you now to, to speak with God, to ask him to show you maybe where you are weak, and vulnerable, and where you need his strength and his power at work in your life. Let's have some time of quiet.
0: As, we, as we've as we reflected um, on what God's been saying to this, us this morning, whether it's through his word, whether it's through the words that are spoken, that's just... Think about where God wants to take us, where he wants to lead us, how he wants to use us, but most of all, how he wants us to be holy before him and respond to him. Just as we head away, so easy to talk to each other as we walk home, but let the first thing that we do is actually listen to what God said to us today and use that moment as we're leaving the premises just to think about what have you said to me, Lord? When we're at home, it's that bit between the couch and the kettle. What's God said to me this morning? Let's just close with um, those words from Jude. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you without faults and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, Power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen.